0: Thank you everybody for joining in. Uh, Amy and I have, are uh, so honored to have Joe Lonsdale speak to us at this meeting of technology, economics and governance working group. Um, it's a very important time, very important topic. And uh, the, what Joe is gonna officially talk about is antitrust in the future of big tech. But of course, he's a managing partner at APC, uh, a co-founder of Palantir He has a beautiful article in the Wall Street Journal, which he might tell us a little bit about, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's important, he gave this talk called Liberty is Great at the Hoover Institution not so long ago. And maybe there'll be a little bit of that in his talk. I don't know, it's sort of implicit in what you're doing. So thanks for uh, for joining us. Um, And maybe you should just go ahead, Joe, and speak, and we'll have plenty of questions and answers. I guess you don't mind if we jump in from time to time, but uh, we'll let you get started. So, thanks so much for joining us, Joe.
1: Thank, thank you for having me, Professor Taylor, and, and everyone else. Good to see you. Um, sure. Well, you know, there's a there's a lot of people on both sides of the political spectrum, I guess, who want to hold big tech accountable right now, and I'm I'm obviously I'm obviously one of them in in a, in a few ways. You know, the op-ed I wrote was the case for splitting Amazon into um, I'm. I'm, you know, I personally from am very careful about using government to get involved in these things. I think it's in general you just want to let the market handle things. Um, but our country does have antitrust laws, and you know, in Amazon's case, the reason I thought it was important is it's become quite uh, abusive in a sense because you have you have a big shift going on in that part of the tech economy. So what's happening is Amazon's forty percent of all of e-commerce and on Amazon, 60% of all of e-commerce. And thanks to Amazon building out, you know, quite impressive infrastructure logistics. Uh, There's this competition where everyone's everyone's realized along with that, that that if you can do things in two days or one day and ship them really fast, you get a lot more sales. So everyone has to figure out how to do one day infrastructure. And this is very, very expensive. It's, you know, the average Amazon item right now, if you order it, if you just click, if you're a random person in the US clicking order on their site, uh, you know, for your prime or whatever, the average distance away that the, your item is is about 40 miles. So there might be one that's really rare item that's coming from somewhere else, but there might be a bunch 10 or 20 miles away. So the average distance is 40 miles. If you're non-Amazon, I like to quiz people and logistics on this and, and no one knows the answer. If you're non-Amazon, like how far away is it on average, right? What's for those 60%, how far away is the average item? And the answer right now, has got down to about 900 miles. So it's 40 versus 900. So this is like, obviously a huge advantage. There's nothing wrong with that. Amazon out-competed. And built that now the sketchy thing that's going on is amazon obviously is making tons of money in aws and they're using this to fund a, a, an open logistics business that's providing logistics services to everyone else and so what they're doing is so, so there's a bunch of companies and i'm, I'm conflicted here because i'm involved I'm, you know I'm, I'm invested in hundreds of companies right i'm lucky to be involved in a lot of things these days but but uh, we're investing in a few things in logistics they're like helping these small businesses compete with amazon and they you know one of them deliver as an example has you know hundreds of virtual warehouses and partners with all the carriers, and it and it's a solution that's growing very quickly to help people have their own one day shipping and two day shipping, and but what Amazon's doing is to stop things like Deliver by trying to trying to price it so they lose money by providing these one day two day shipping services to to all these merchants, and 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 if and they, if, if no one kind of gets together and stops them. Then you fast forward five or 10 years, this is kind of like a big shift in the economy where the infrastructure will have been built and they'll own all of it and they'll be the ones providing it to everyone. And it, and it, be, and it becomes very, very hard to compete at scale at that point, price wise. And so it'll give them a lot more pricing power. And so the natural, so so, so in the way antitrust works is you're not allowed to be losing billions of dollars a year on something to kill off competitors to then be able to raise prices later. But that's clearly what they're doing. And so it just seems like a very, very sketchy thing. And so in, in this case, you know, if, if you know, as, as someone who's very pro-liberty, if there were not antitrust laws, I think a lot of merchants and our people would be organizing a lot more and getting together and saying, this is inappropriate. It's going to hurt us in the future. We have to organize ourselves and stop this. But I think in a culture where you have antitrust laws, where it's clearly legal what they're doing, uh, there's not as much self-organization. So, 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 so there's an argument for getting rid of antitrust laws, fine, then we can self-organize. But because we don't, because we do have these laws, we should be enforcing them, is my view because, because the, basically they're, they're abusing it. So, that, so that, that's that's the kind of high level of Amazon. Um, you know, most of what I see the government doing to try to stop big tech is not really along those lines. I think a lot of it's quite scary, to be honest. So there's there's a, there's a number of bills in Congress targeting big tech right now. I think Senator Hawley's like trust busting for the 21st Century Act. And there's a Klobuchar competition and trust law enforcement act. And it seems like, it seems like, uh, they're trying to say anything that's really big is is kind of is kind of inappropriate. So they think if your companies get to be too big, they're hurting innovation, and they're very skeptical of companies buying things, and they think that's really bad at in innovation. And you know, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. There is kind of like the old joke where like you know something would get really big and it get bought, and then it wouldn't be good anymore, and, and you need to make it easier. You used you'd to be, you'd be, exci- be excited when you think competitors get bought because that means they're easier to compete against. It's not necessarily true. Like I was a investor in Oculus and Oculus brought together a lot of the best talent in the VR, AR ecosystem. And Facebook paid a lot of money for that. And then invested, you know, tens of billions more because they think that's the future. They're calling themselves meta now. Right. And so, and so they're actually like, like only Facebook really had the scale to take that and to achieve that. And so I think it would have been really weird and kind of counterproductive to block that. And, and, and the FTC has to be very, very careful. You guys probably know, I, th- I think the most damning example of this, they're trying to prove out these new theories right now of blocking people from buying things. And I think the most damning example is Illumina and Grail. I don't know if people are familiar with this right now, but we got to be really careful because so I, I on a personal note, I lost my mother to cancer 14 years ago. We found the cancer at stage four. And I have a couple of friends who started this company Grail afterwards, which is very exciting because it can use liquid biopsy, basically to look at cell-free DNA and detect cancer at stage one and two. And it actually works quite well to detect cancer at stage two. So if, if this had been around when my, when my mother you know, was, was you know five years before she passed, we might have detected it at stage two, might be able to save her. And, and so people with these high risks, like we have in my family and a lot of families, and maybe even everyone eventually at a certain age, probably should be getting tested with a tiny bit of their blood every, every three months, every six months, whatever it is. And and the reason this is really kind of really messed up, frankly, is that Grail doesn't have a ton of capital itself to scale this out. Doesn't have the expertise on the marketing side to scale this out. They're very good scientists who did very good studies. Illumina has has the ability to massively scale this everywhere very quickly. And so you know, and so Illumina and Grail agreed to merge. They're gonna is gonna buy them. And the FTC has been blocking it. And you know, if you look at this, every month that you're not doing these tests, you're 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 effectively killing uh, thousands of people based on the statistics. So you, so it's effectively like this Holocaust where the FTC has decided it's worth killing tens of thousands of people to enforce their new theory, uh, about making sure big tech doesn't get too big and, and try and prove it out here. And, and, and it's, of course they have some arguments about, about how, uh, uh, you know, this important, this thing is for the economy, the economy in the future and whatnot. But you know, there's lots of evidence. There's lots of ways to compete with this. In my ex- experience, there may be totally different technologies dominating this in five or ten years, from everything I see. And it's just 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 condemning all these people, like my mother, who is the same condition to death because of this of this kind of bad theory that that has not been tested in courts and that probably wouldn't even be accepted in the courts. To me, is, is pretty abhorrent. And so, so you got to be really careful on those things. In terms of what else I would do to hold big tech accountable. Um, you know, I think, I, think I, I generally pretty Borkian on this stuff in the sense that you probably want to look at consumer damage. And then I also think there's maybe a new theory we need to talk about where in a democracy, it should be transparent how our public squares work. I think that's actually pretty important too. So if, if I was going to like with my most radical view on holding big tech accountable is I would look at Twitter and Facebook and these other social media platforms. And I, I, what I, I'd probably say is something like, if there's more than a million people on a social media platform, uh, we should be really, uh, really careful to not let them censor and change people's awareness of what's going on in the country. And so I, I, you know, it, it's actually quite complicated. You can't, you can't what does censorship mean? Like, they, they, like the way Twitter and Facebook algorithms work is they have to be able to decide what they show you and what they don't show you. And you can't just like force them to have any certain algorithms. I don't think that's a good way for it to work because you know there's there's all sorts of spam that they block you from seeing. There's things they want you to see that's more interesting. Like you have to give them some leeway in that. But my my view would be you have to make it so they have to be transparent about how their algorithms are working, and, and when they're when they're kind of what's you know when there's something called shadow banning. Like if they if there's a topic they don't like on the right, sometimes people on the left in these companies. And, and I and I do think there's cabals in these companies actively doing this. I'm quite convinced of it based on evidence I've seen. Uh, they, they'll get together and they'll purposely block these, these things they don't like that are on the right. And it's a very common thing that happens in these places. And, and, and they could do it totally secretly. And you know, as a private company, maybe they have a right to do that, but I don't think we should let them in a democracy where it's a public square do it totally secretly. I think they should have to show exactly how the algorithm worked and then what the, what the people did, what the algorithm did, and, and it just, it just, it just report on that. You know, maybe every week, even I think I think something like that for a platform like this. With with, uh, so I think this is what the both the left and the right should be doing is forcing them to be transparent about it. I'll I'll give you an anecdote. Um, I have a podcast called The American Optimist, and we have people on both sides on it. and And Ro Khanna, who's a progressive, and he you and know, I obviously don't agree on everything, but he's a friend, and he was on it. and And, and Ro Khanna, on my podcast was made a made a point. He said, you know, I don't think Twitter should have censored. Hunter Biden, I think that was, that was, that was Hunter Biden's story, laptop story. He said he's a, you know, he's a, he's a progressive, he's like, if he thinks it's a stupid story, he thinks it doesn't matter, but they probably shouldn't have censored it. It was inappropriate. And so he said this, and, and we published that as like the preview to the podcast. And right away, it got 1,500 views on YouTube. And then there were 21 news stories linking to the YouTube. And, 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 you, and we went back to the YouTube an hour later, and there were 600 views, not 1,500 views anymore. And then we went back an hour later, and there were 300 views and it was clear somebody inside of youtube uh, had had somehow like like, like turned off and, and counted all these views as spam and, and didn't not promote it because they didn't want this you know to be to be be pushed forward. and it is very clear youtube and twitter uh, are, are are you know both both shadow banning stories that criticize them in these in these ways and and and, and again like right now that's not illegal and, and Ro Khan, of course, was pretty shocked because you know he's on the far left. He says, Oh, I guess I see what it's like if you say something the left doesn't like, because he's he's not used to that. Uh, uh, and but but it, but you know it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious they are doing these things. I think it should have to be transparent. It's, it's very frustrating for for people, uh, people like me who, who will be shadow banned on on all sorts of stuff that are there are good points that look really good because they don't wanna they don't wanna help us. And so 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 anyway, that's you know, I, I think of the antitrust, you gotta be really careful. But you should probably actually enforce the law when it comes to things like Amazon's very clear abuse. Uh, and, and I th- and I think on the on the social media side, we should at the very least have transparency for how it works for our democracy. So I guess those are my those are my strongest views. And then and then, and then, you know the last thing I'll say is you know the tech ecosystem works based on you know the reason we can invest so much money and reason I can keep raising money is because I can sell companies. And there's you know th- there's lots of big companies that are very good at buying things and, and making them work. Like it, I would not be able to do my job as a venture capitalist if you stopped all the acquisitions, and it's actually very scary. Not only does it hurt people like Lumina Grail, it's, it's very it's also very scary for just breaking the ecosystem. So I I'm very very skeptical of the things trying to stop those. I don't, I don't think they help. But ha- maybe Professor Taylor, I know if you, I'm happy to answer some questions or go into more of these in more detail if you'd like.
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. This is a, it's a great overview. Uh, it gives us some things to ask questions about. One thing that um, you pointed out there's the Holly Klobuchar going the wrong direction. And uh, of course they're the ones that are proposing legislation and, and your example with Amazon and AWS is sort of the way to go. But the question is, how do you articulate, maybe you're doing this already, but how do you articulate a legislation that's appealing so that you counteract, you know, this is bipartisan, Holly and Klobuchar, different, different parts of the political spectrum. So how do, you, uh, how do you combat that? How do you make it clear that you, you need to deal with the pricing power, for example? What are what the things that you can do? Because it's, it is hard to write legislation, it's hard to move things ahead. But I, my, my, my first question really has to do with how do you, how do you operate? Just, just one side point of that, I think your story of healthcare is very illuminating. You know you want you want that to progress i mean there's yeah I mean, there's so many things that are happening we want to have happen but we also have these problems so any, any thoughts along those lines would be great joe
1: yeah and and you know i i i haven't spent enough you know my policy group sister we drop a lot of state-level legislation where i'm actually able to get things done um, maybe because of our lack of confidence that we'll be listened to. We it's very hard to work in DC. We haven't actually drawn up a competing legislation for this one. Um, my, my general view is that my general view is that the, this is coming from populists on the left and the right that don't like big tech and uh, frankly are kind of like, they're popular by criticizing a tech ecosystem, but they're not actually incorporating any of the positives of the tech ecosystem in this. They're just basically saying like, it's basically saying like you're too big you can't buy things anymore and, and it's, it just seems it just seems like that's not actually what this challenge is about. There's nothing wrong with big companies buying things there's something wrong with with a company purposely losing a lot of money in an area to kill competitors. So I think I think the antitrust legislation needs to focus on you know if, if you're if you're in an area and and you're, and you're starting to become a very large part of that area and you're losing a lot of money, Consistently while while doing that, which is in, in, you know, which I, th- I think frankly that already is how antitrust works. I just think we have like a FTC that's very badly run, but but I, I feel like we I feel like that would be how I'd be more clear. I'd be a lot more clear around that area. But I, I'd be open to others who have other other views on this because uh, fr- frankly I haven't I haven't actually written any legislation on this area, so so I'm not I don't have a strong opinion on exactly what it would look like.
0: So thank you. And by the way, anyone who wants to uh, raise their mechanical hand or jump in, or even your regular hand is fine. Um, I'm sure there's lots of questions that um, are, are, are on people's minds about this. But I have another, uh, another question. That's, it's about this transparency. I, I kind of agree more transparency is good, but the inclination is to be less transparent. So I don't know how you enforce that. Except it's, it's a good thing to do. You need you need
1: you need big enough penalties, right? That's that's the the penalties need to actually matter, and that's that's what we've seen this in healthcare as well, where it's just kind of a joke, where they passed really some pretty good transparency rules that my friends put together uh, in, in the Trump administration on the policy side, and then other parts of the Trump administration, uh, which are, I think were somewhat crony, uh, turned down the penalty enough that no one actually listens to it at all, right? So it's not just what the rule is it's what happens if you don't do it. And so I think in this case we need to have a large enough financial penalty relative to the market cap of the company that it starts to be extremely painful for them if they're not being fully transparent. And I think we have to like, obviously you should work in some sense, work with them because they're going to be the smartest about how to make it fully transparent, but you have to have people who used to work there work, and you know, people on our side who understand the space well enough. And I, I have a bunch of ideas about how it would work, you know, it, it, what, what it would do actually is it would, for, in order to make the transparency reporting, not make them look like idiots. And fr- 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 frankly, Professor, what it would do is the boards of these companies don't even fully know, in my view, exactly how much censorship goes on internally. I think there's lots of rogue employees, and lots of groups internally who see themselves as serving their progressive causes that, that are actually taking action here because they do allow for so much arbitrary human moderation. And so I think what it would do, is going to push it a lot more towards the algorithm and they'd be a lot more careful to have people uh, be able to interfere with how, with how the algorithms worked if they had to report on it because it'd be a lot harder to report and it'd also be a lot more embarrassing to report. And, and fr- frankly, I think the board, some of the people on the board, my sense is kind of agree because they're very left but they only agree if they don't have to agree in public. So if they actually had to admit in public they were doing this, then they would not allow it to happen. So I think it's actually very powerful to kind of force them to be honest about exactly, you know, how, how this stuff is working.
0: Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll step back a little bit. Amy, looks like Amy has a few questions and others too. So so go ahead, Amy, we can see you there. Thanks, John.
2: Yeah. Joe, thank you so much for coming to talk to us and thanks for your up Ed. I have a lot of questions, but I'll just start um, with a couple um on this question of transparency and social media companies
3: mm-hmm.
2: what we're seeing is two different models right so you have facebook that has lots of boards and supposed processes which they don't appear to follow all the time and there's a lot of question about is all this working and then you have twitter which is a much more sort of individual decision making at the top do you yeah. have a point of view about which of these two models do you think is more promising or do you have a third way for these companies I, to try to figure out this problem on their own?
1: I tend to think that, that the, way, the way Zuck, Zuck uh, sorry, the way Meta and Facebook are doing it uh, is better in theory. My strong impression from talking to a lot of people there is that Zuckerberg is not at all aware of actual decisions being made constantly that kind of violate their own principles. But so I, I don't think they have it set up in a way where nor nor do they want it to be because to be to be fully transparent to them because i think that, that gives them it gives them kind of like a pretty useful deniability he doesn't really know what's going on he couldn't possibly but I I, I I i think facebook's model of having these principles having these boards to decide exceptions is is like is a really good way to do it but then you kind of need to overlay like a lot more forced transparency of exactly what's happening and reporting on exactly like like the decisions that were made and and and, and you know you you I, I would actually go as far as to say that they should have to report everything because I think it's not that hard in a digital age to do that, where they have to show here's how the algorithms worked, here's what they did, and here's where here were the seventy six thousand times that a person did something and moderated something, and you know, and you can go and you look at yourself and say, oh yeah, this this person keeps turning my thing down, you know, this person keeps marking it as potential spam or, or whatever, and 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 they they don't want that obviously, but that would be what I would require. Of them, given that they're dominating the public squares so much, in order to protect our democracy. So that 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 that's how I see it.
2: And then, just to bring it to sort of current geopolitics, as you're thinking about, a lot of companies now are saying we're we're not going to have any content from RT or any sort of state-run Russian media. What's your view on that? On the one hand, right, I mean, that's a pretty complicated yeah. set of issues too.
1: That you know, it, it really is my. I'll, I'll tell you, my first instinct for yet so angry at Russia. Was like talking to my friends who like you know shares you know there's one of the payment processors uh, one of the big credit cards, and I was telling her you know how you, you you know how come you guys don't stand up and do something here? And then I thought about it more and I realized the last time they stood up and did something, that wasn't required by the government, they were like banning like my friend her Steely or whatever, but with some sovereign Poverty Law Group or whatever, you know, just because they're you know because they because they false follow, they followed something that was kind of BS in my view, uh, and I realized you know what it's actually really dangerous for these corporations to make their own decisions outside of government rules sometimes on these things because they end up enforcing popular politics, virtue signaling versus what we actually want them to be doing. It's also very scary how it could actually kind of create our own foreign policy separately than our government in a disorganized way. So so my, my, my latest on that is I kind of like the idea of them not censoring anything at all, but then they can lobby the government and the government gets to decide if certain things are gonna be done for, for various reasons in our country and blocked or, or not. And, and, and I, I, I kind of prefer that because when, when when they end up doing things that are outside of the, what's required, they almost always end up channeling some kind of ex, some kind of progressive virtue signal thing that's not very well thought through. So you gotta be really careful. And I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I am now. I, I have to admit this is an active thing I'm still learning and deciding. So I'm curious what others think here too.
2: Thanks, I, I want, I'll let other people jump in. I'll come back if, uh, if there's time. Thanks.
1: So Elena, then Tom,
0: Elena.
3: Thank you. Hi, Joe, you talked uh, and I find very illuminating your thinking on about uh, Amazon underpricing and the issue across subsidization, across submarkets, which mm-hmm. do confer unfair advantage to Amazon. But I wanted to ask you more about your impressions about IFTC policy. So we know that the FTC is very much concerned all the time about the impact of market power on consumers because of the consumer welfare standard that you also talked about. But I see three issues here in terms of broad FTC approach to the market power issues among tech companies. First, an issue of what's the relevant market. Second, an issue of the importance of capacity, and third, the issue of information. So mm-hmm. sometimes the FTC, out of my own impressions at conferences that I attend, there is that we have an old notion of what demand is or what are the boundaries across market segments. So the notions of demand for platforms is very different. The section The second is the issue of capacity. Of course, I live here in Palo Alto. I'm very much aware of the disruptive power of the new ideas that small firms bring to the Mm -hmm. fore. But there is an issue of bringing this idea to broader markets. And so big firms that have capacity have the ability of making certain products and services available in practice to all of us. And the third is an issue of information. I've heard a lot about the issues of auction for cookies, the overnight Auctions for the information that is encoded in our web browsing behavior, and people have talked a lot at the FTC about that conferring even more market power to firms. But actually, it's a way of making information accessible to more, mm-hmm. firm, more firms and, in a way, intensify competition for consumers. So, I was wondering where you see the FTC, if you see it moving in any way along any of these directions. Thank you.
1: Thanks. No, it's a it's an interesting question. You know. I, I I haven't I haven't used that ontology myself to approach it. So I'd have to think more about that specific ontology. But when you talk about when you talk about the platforms, it re- reminds me that there there are probably some arguments. Um there are probably some arguments for for how the FTC might or how or how even regulation might make these platforms that are very dominant in our economy have to treat people more fairly. I think I think I think that's I think I, I don't know if that ties in exactly to, to what you asked, but there's you know, I'll I'll, I'll I'll give you an anecdote. Sorry to be so anecdote driven, but it kind of it helps me to see how I think about it as my experience with these things. And so Apple, Apple is very much kind of like this bully to a lot of us when we spend time on it. And right at the beginning of COVID, uh, we had a company um, I won't say the name because it's somewhat sensitive uh, that, that had you know million users and, and was growing pretty fast and it helped people safety. And we said, well, wow, we should build a contact tracer. And we said we realized if we use the Bluetooth on the new Apple phones, you, if you could say if someone had come into contact with someone and you, and you could say if they were tested or not, when you get tested, we'd hook it up to our, to our thing. And so that way people can know if they're seeing someone, if they've been only seeing people who are also say they're tested. And it becomes this network effect and it group spread very quickly when everyone uses contact tracer. And we had some really, really top engineers who built things like Facebook and Uber, uh, stay up, you know, pull all-nighters with us, work three or four weeks of COVID. And we built a really cool contact tracer. And we talked to Apple, is this going to release this? And then Apple said, oh, we're really worried about this. Uh, we're only going to do it if it has X, Y, and Z abilities. And we said, okay. And then we, you know, in two weeks, we did it. And they said, oh, well, we actually only going to do it if it has at least two mayors pushing it, so it's kind of from the government. So we got the mayors on board, we got a governor on board and we came back to them and they kept putting new rules in place. And and so this this is like a crisis, right? So we kept working as hard as we could, you know, feeling like we're on a mission to serve the country. And and they kept changing. And finally, Tim Cook stepped in and said, you know what, I've decided I'm canceling this. We're not going to let you do it. And and, and it was after like we'd invested millions of dollars and lost people's time and it was just completely arbitrary, right? And they kept changing their minds. And, and, and maybe that's just how it has to work in our economy, but to have a platform that, you know, there's really two platforms, I was an Android that dominate our entire innovation economy and to have them be able to be that arbitrary, uh, was obviously extremely frustrating. And so I, I don't want to let my anecdote and my frustration, like color what the right policy is, but my impression is, is not healthy in the economy to have people who dominate these things that everyone uses that, that can just like turn stuff off and 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 treat people that way so 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 i i i, I do think there's something there to think about and i actually I'm, I'm on this side i guess there's a fight with apple and this game this game uh, I think epic or someone was one of the big big game uh, groups and you know i'm on this definitely on the side of the people who are fighting against apple to not let them abuse their platform and, and kind of take over take over the way they are just because when something's that big in the economy uh, you know, it becomes, you know, all of us, are, a lot of us are on the liberty side are skeptical of government, but we need to be skeptical of really big corporations that completely dominate markets as well.
3: I can quickly follow up. But yes, the question actually, you to my question better. So there is an issue of FTC policy of one size fits all. But size yeah. means different things in different circumstances, as you say. Yeah. Uh, too, too big of an Apple uh, player, maybe player in the market, maybe a bad thing. But then the example that you're referring to, I mean, size there could be actually a benefit. And my impression is that FTC doesn't have a fine-tuning or fine-tune enough I don't, of an I don't approach. Think,
1: I don't think they have clear principles at all that I've seen, and if they do, I'd love to learn what they are. Uh, I think I think I think that's right. I think I think the principles you're suggesting is pretty interesting for some of those for them schema. I, I I think I think if something my 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 general view is something's big enough it doesn't mean it's bad, but it means that you have to restrict it and make it more transparent, like how it works. And so they should be able to say what the rules are, but they shouldn't be able to like change them on you and screw you over or something like that. Which is just similar to the social media one, I, I would say.
3: Thank you.
4: So Tom Gilligan, Tom. Thank hey you John, uh, thanks Joe for doing this, appreciate it. No problem. Uh, I want to go back to your Wall Street Journal article and ask you a question that basically is, I'm asking you to help me to try to understand the e-commerce infrastructure business. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering if separating AWS from the e-commerce business is sufficient because when I look at the e-commerce business, it, it involves big warehouses everywhere and pre-positioned inventory everywhere. It looks like huge fixed costs. And I guess the question I'm asking, is that an industry that, that looks more naturally monopolistic and it might tend towards a few number of competitors or or if there's no cross subsidization do you expect to have 10 20 30 very large
1: prominent e-commerce businesses um if there's no cross subsidization i think you still have tons of other brands in the market as long as they have a way to to get their products to consumers so i think i think to me the one that's more scary I, i i understand what you're saying there's some places where like having inventory and being like a giant retailer. I mean Walmart is the obvious example where there's there's huge advantages to being Walmart and to being Amazon. Uh I, I think I think the scarier the scarier one to me is when they is is when they subsidize the whole thing. Because I, I do think I do think it's possible for I mean I, I have a lot of friends who've started brands and they're like really compelling brands and they grow really fast and they add inventory and they add new things and they build they build you know they build e-commerce businesses. It's not it's not it's definitely not impossible i think i think amazon probably will be dominant in terms of them for certain for certain areas but but if you have a logistics thing that works i I think i think you still have lots of other players is my is my view just seeing the market interesting
4: and uh one more question uh and this question was spawned by your answer to the last two questions uh in talking about the abusive platforms in many ways have you given any thought to uh types of regulation other than antitrust regulation, say communications regulation or transportation regulation of these companies as common carriers of one kind or another?
1: It's really, you know, there's people on my policy team who have, I want to be careful because I, I'm i probably going to get the, the names of the regulations wrong and I'm going to sound stupid. I apologize. I, I should have, I should have brought one of them along who's much smarter than I am. But I mean, there's, that there are, there are ways that we're thinking about for for how you for, for how you how you force these things to just be more transparent is uh, that size I, I, and I, 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 there may be existing things you can use. I I tend to be more a fan of of new legislation that's precise than just like kind of using the administrative state in whatever more expansive ways they can figure out how to use it. But but you're probably right that there are ways you can use one of those if you wanted to. So
0: one thing, just your story about Apple is a bully and uh, all that is very interesting. I don't. I don't know if it's out there enough, that kind of story. And, and, and I don't know who gets it out, but-
1: Well, well no, one, no, one, no one really wants to get it out. Yeah. Professor, the, the problem is, is even I, who am someone outspoken, if I'm too outspoken on this, then the next time a company's building in a space where it really needs to work with Apple, uh, they'd much rather not have me involved in the cap table because Apple will then be more difficult. Like these, just it's similar to how, you know, one of my friends runs some of the biggest financial companies in Canada and he was speaking out against something Trudeau was doing and they literally called three or four of his company's contacts and said, if he doesn't shut up, if your principal doesn't shut up, we're going to have to come down hard on you in the regulatory front. And, and so so you so you have a lot of these regulators in the U.S. and Canada who are effectively our bullies and, and you have Apple as a bully and it's a lot harder for any of us to, to tell you how bad the FTA is or to tell you how bad Apple is when we have to deal with them on the 20 fronts, you know?
0: Well, this might be an area where if it's hard for you, I can, I can see that. And for your colleagues, maybe it's something uh, you, could, you could spread. Maybe it's maybe it's Hoover. Maybe it's yeah, if, if,
1: if, if somebody is interested to look into it from there and talk about and talk about it and talk about. You know how we need. You know, I think all you know all concentrated power unchecked is a danger in our society. And there's a massive amount of concentrated power in a, yeah. in, a, in a handful of these platforms. Whether it's certain certain banks and payment infrastructure, whether it's whether it's obviously the hosting infrastructure for internet, and whether it's the app infrastructure with with Google and Apple. These are these are very powerful places that need to be watched. Need to be forced to behave. And I, I'd love your help doing that. I you know, I, I probably, I'm probably a bigger fan of making sure things like the government and the FDA behaves, it probably kills a lot more people, but, but the big companies need to behave as well.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I just, one thing I, I'm thinking about a lot, and uh, with this technology, economics, and governance group is the international aspects, and Amy's has huge experience on that, but um, in a sense, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to disadvantage these firms operating in other
1: countries. Yes. And it's yes. a
0: trade-off. I don't know if you have any any solution to that or anything you can say about that. This is this is the best,
1: like this is this is the advice when 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 we did when you know, when we we talked to our friends who run these things is can you guys show that you're pro-American and that America wants you guys to succeed because then we're not going to come to this hard on you. And like I'm actually surprised they're not doing more to show they're pro-American given that, but they have to be careful, I guess, because they don't want the other countries cracking down either. Uh but no, I I think that's right. I think it's good for America overall that we outcompete the Chinese internet companies in Europe, and we've continued to mostly outcompete them, other than TikTok, of course. And you don't, and you and, you, and so, you, so you you want to be careful that whatever the rules are, they're not going to put them in a position where they can't compete. I, I don't think a little more transparency would stop them from competing. I do think that some of the other things that Holly is in, you know, contemplating would stop them from competing and, and would be a mess. And so I, I think you make a very good point there.
2: John, if, if I could just pick it back onto your question. So if we're if we're taking the aperture a little bit more broad, and we're looking at you know China's regulating the tech industry more now too. Uh, what do you see as uh, potential opportunities for American tech with China's now moved to clamp down on its own tech uh, innovation ecosystem, and what are the risks for our companies?
1: Yeah, well, well, I think there's you guys probably know better than me. I've had a lot of friends very senior in China and. It appears that there was serious competition where a lot of the smartest young people all wanted to go into the government, and then they started all wanting to go into tech, and tech became the cool thing and became more and more powerful. And the government people did not like this, and so there, I think the, the root of the regulation in China and the root of the battle in China is, is one of they want to show that societally they're the most powerful, they're the coolest place for smart people to go, and, and, and it's, so there's like a it's like an active battle to to make tech weaker there, which is obviously awesome from a global competitive perspective. There's a lot of things where China China consumer innovation had gotten as good as American consumer innovation, right? There are places where they're competing when they were better, places where we were better, but the consumer tech stuff there, it it was was not about copying us. There's a lot of new stuff they've done that we haven't even done. And and, and as you see with TikTok, they were starting to come out and actually compete with us globally. Um, I think this is, you know, Alibaba was payments that was gonna compete globally. It was going to, you know, compete all over Europe for, for for e-commerce. I think they, I think you know, they're still going to do that, but they're a lot weaker than they would have been. You know, you know, Tencent especially was probably one of the best-run companies in the world. Still is pretty very well-run, but it's a lot weaker than it would have been. A lot more careful than it would have been. Uh, you know, the, a lot of their money came from games, and China just turned off a ton of that. They they kind of maybe I think China agrees with Josh Hawley and they see these games as like drugs that are bad for kids, and so they're like just turning them off and not letting them do it, which is. And there's an argument there. I'm not going to say they're totally wrong, but it's, no, this is very good for the for the U.S. for a competitive perspective. It, it, it's interesting. It was much more that China was like a big threat that was going to come compete around the world. And and, and now they slowed that down. I don't know if it's new opportunities so much as like there's going to be less competition for certain industries that we're doing, which is is positive for us.
3: Joe, we were talking just now with Amy about the international experience. Um, I come from the other side of the Atlantic, so I have some experience with the EU. And uh, as I'm sure all of you know here, the EU antitrust policy has actually been a very activist one, uh, especially in tech markets. And so the question that I've heard, for instance, of the European Commission is that there is a trade-off there because the, if, if you wish to be very vigilant as such an authority and ensure consumer safety and, and right protections put in place, then, then the question is, aren't you stifling exposed the development of the truly innovating firms that may change everyone's lives for the better? And so I think that the debate as of now is how much you want to be aggressive in pursuing size uh, because size means also making it big and how much that has an impact on, on, on small firms decisions uh, to enter a particular market, their ability to raise funds uh, because we know that it takes many, many years of failure and, uh, and, and, and lack of success exactly. broad, uh, broadly speaking before being able to produce something of value. What, 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 what are your uh-huh. thoughts here what, and what can we do better?
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. This is also why things like the wealth tax are just bad for, for incentives because you you have people working to <laughs> work into these levels and, and to grow through these levels. You know, I, I we the venture ecosystem exists in large part thanks to the one percent of firms that get really big and 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 pay a lot of money back into it, and make the whole thing extremely lucrative, right? So if you take out if you take out the top one percent of outcomes, you actually kind of like destroy a lot of the ecosystem. That, that's definitely true. And, you know, I, I think this is why you got to be really careful about the big is bad. I do think you could say for our society, if you have a big network effect platform, it has to be responsible. And I don't think you want to hurt its business, but I think you want to force it to be transparent, force it to be fair. You don't want to let these really big platforms, whether they're run by the far left or far right or anybody else, they shouldn't be able to use, like, they shouldn't be able to use these platforms as a way to shift society in a certain direction, I think that's not how democracy should work. I don't think these people should be should be in charge of our democracy, and so so I, th- I think I think Europe is wrong to make it so tough on these companies and to constantly be hitting them in all sorts of like strange ways that I don't think are productive. But I, but it doesn't mean we can't put in transparency rules and put in rules that that make sure these platforms and make sure these you know are, are showing what they're doing in in a way that's fair and neutral. Like I don't think it would have killed Apple. To have to tell us the exact rules for our app versus changing their mind so many times, right? It, but but I don't think that would have hurt their business so much. So I, I think there's ways of like of checking power that don't make it so it's bad to be big and successful. I guess is my view.
0: Thank you. Uh, raise, raise your hands if you have other questions um, of Joe. One thing that's uh, on our minds a lot in this technology, economics, governance group is firms leaving California, and uh, you know about that. <laughs> You know a lot about that. You know, you have Musk is out there and HPE and
1: uh, we're having we're having we're having a lot going on here in Austin, Texas. More and more friends coming.
0: Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Joe? If you could. What did should California do something? Just let let Texas well, go, let Florida go. What do you think?
1: Okay, California needs to be run by people who share some of the values of Hoover. And until then it's not gonna matter what we think they should be doing, right? But uh, you know, uh, I, I actually think it's really good for the country and for the world, for people to be able to see that certain policies don't work as well and for, for people like I think it's like a good thing for people to move because you need to show California that when you don't do the right thing, things, things go worse for everyone. Um, you know I have I have a lot of yeah musk is, is a lot is here a lot. Um, a lot of my friends, I guess I wouldn't say I'm, I, I don't know how public this is. so some of them are secretly moved here, like one of my friends who built, started Airbnbs here. I don't know if that's you know there's lots of people who are here who uh, who have built big tech companies. Um, you know. Not all of them are public about it. And there's a lot more being built here. There's a lot more being created here. We're starting companies with you know, the heads of the healthcare systems and a bunch of tech guys here. There's, there's all sorts of, you know, Austin's very entrepreneurial. There's, you know, we're building an office right next door to where I sit right now. It's, it's 160 year old building, it's redoing it. It's really cool. And down the street, I have another friend doing it two blocks away. There's a new Soho house next door. It's just, it's, it's, it's just like, everything's being built here right now. I'm actually going, Uh, in a couple hours there's a there so travis county is a county around austin and it it is a very progressive county although it's not nearly as extreme as you see in the bay area Uh, we're actually going just outside of the county the 200 acres we're getting on the water for the new university of austin that we're working on i'm going to go visit that this afternoon neil ferguson and i and others have been pushing this ahead and and so there's just there's a lot being built out here and a ton of friends are supporting it it's really cool there's just this it's just a sense of uh, kind of high energy, kind of a frontier energy where there, people are creating things. And so, so yeah, I mean, I mean it's, 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 you know, I think Texas and Florida are going to keep growing and keep prospering. And you're going to see a lot more of the tech ecosystem shift there in the next few years.
2: Yeah. So uh, this is, I, I think this is such an interesting conversation, Joe. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about in the group is what are the indicators that a tech ecosystem is healthy? that it's on the upswing or it's at the beginning of decline how do we know it when we see it and so if you're looking i mean obviously moving right using your 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 power of exit is one indicator but if you were looking at california and advising california policymakers how do we know number 1 whether we're becoming route 128 right in boston and mm-hmm. how do we and how do what how do you know how do you gauge the health of your own tech ecosystem whether it's in austin or here what do you look for
1: well, I think, I mean, obviously new company formation is really important. Um, I think how much, like when people are successful, one of the most important things in the tech world is the people who are successful and who are investing think where are they living? So I, I would say like, like of the people who've been part of, you know, of a, of a high growth startup and have made money from the high growth startup, uh, you know, the ones who are writing checks into other startups and, and, you know, mentoring entrepreneurs, where are they spending their time? Where are they living? And, and you still have a lot of those in the Bay Area, but you have a very large number of those moving out to other places, you know, obviously Miami and Austin, but, you know, a lot of other places too, in Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, et cetera. Uh, and so I, 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 I guess the, I would look at those flows because the, the way these network effects work, the reason you have network effects in tech ecosystems is people who built these companies learn a lot about how to do it a lot there's like 15 or 20 kind of inputs, right? About like these like specific skill areas you learn and having been part of that, you then help create the next wave. And it's just this very good feedback effect. And that's why the area still has that network effect because there's so many of those people there, but you want to start seeing the ones that are active in doing that and who are driving that effect, where are they spending their time? And I, I haven't measured that, But I'd bet like it used to be, it used to be like 98% stayed there and did that. And now it might be, you know, I think it's probably steadily falling. It's probably still more than half are are staying there and doing that, but it's, but, but it is starting to spread a lot more around the country is my view.
2: And so, but when you're thinking about investing and getting your own situational awareness of what are promising companies you might invest in, how do you think about the benefits of being local versus the capabilities of being able to travel anywhere? Right. Are you focused more locally, or, are you, are, or is the new model we can invest
1: from afar? It, it's 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 some of both. It's some of both. You know, Bay, the Bay Area, the Bay Area has a couple areas where the network effect has not broken, and it's still the best. The, the two things the Bay Area that are best by far are the revolution in biology, because you have UCSF, Stanford, and Berkeley are all there, and they're still number one with the firms there. And there is still like the very best kind of deep tech, big data infrastructure, you know, open source database type stuff like that's all coming out of Google, Oracle, Facebook, you know, LinkedIn, and it's still all, it's still a lot between there and Seattle, but it's just, it's just as much as the Bay Area as it ever has been. Um, and I think almost anything you could do anywhere else, people don't want to live in the Bay Area. And so if you don't need those really specific skills, you can do it from anywhere. And, you know, our firm 10 years ago, was like 95% of stuff was in the Bay Area, and now maybe like 45% of stuff we do is in the Bay Area where we do a lot of investments. And, and, and so we, we, and there's still stuff we do in the Bay Area. We still have half our team there. Um, but, but, but yeah, it has spread around a lot, lot more in our country. So we have, we have companies not only on the East Coast and here in Texas, but all, I mean, like there's one in Oklahoma, there's one in Iowa, uh, you know, so just, there's, you know, there's one in Tennessee. So, so there's, there's a lot more, it is a lot more spread out than it used to be. And and you do you, you don't you don't have to be as nearby as you as you used to be before, but there are still advantages of certain network effects of skills.
3: Yes, to to your experience, as we've just talked, we know that policy can go wrong. But is uh, given your time here in California now in, in Texas, is there anything that you wish policy and policymakers could do?
1: In terms of and would terms- help. Would help, you know, f-
3: f- yeah, fostering uh, an innovative and productive ecosystem of firms uh, of various <laughs> ages and size.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think California gets the gets the laws right on uh, not le- not letting people, yeah, you know, uh, what's it called the the, the anti the anti competitive stuff. I think California is good on that. Like, you shouldn't be able to restrain your employees from not from doing things in the same space. There's stuff like that that I like with California uh, that ends up working right. That does not work in other states. I mean, to me, the biggest issues in California were probably, unfortunately, just even around cost of living, uh, you know, zoning and taxation and and some 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 cultural things. I mean, I think those were the biggest the biggest ones that drive people away. I'm probably forgetting something. Everyone's something here, but you know, I, I guess the tort law situation is really scary too. You basically have to like. I was told by someone in a thing that if you don't use, if you're not really careful to use the right gender pronouns, someone could sue you and they probably win in California court, which is it's fine. Like it's just, it's, it's just like, there's like these, there's like these like tort law things where you're basically guilty until proven innocent. And, and you, know what's, you know what's, sorry, it's kind of off topic, but it's kind of crazy. These lawyers will figure out a company where there's like a handful of disgruntled people and they'll just keep getting one after the other to sue the company. And you can't actually settle with a lawyer. It's not allowed. So you have to consider every time you can only settle with a person and, 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 or you can fight it, but it's just expensive. And in California, as, as Elon showed you, you might just lose, even if you're not, you know, it's ridiculous. And so, so I, I think the tort law is quite bad too. Um, for, for, for me, the biggest one was the quality of life with cost of living for everyone around me, as well as culture for my kids and schools and the schools are going to. Uh, we have a lot of people who work with us, and I'd bring someone to California, and and, and you know bring them onto a 200, 250k salary. There, they they wouldn't actually feel very comfortable living as a as a, you know as as, as a as an upper middle class family there. Whereas in Texas, you know you can live 150k and be very comfortable. So I think that to me was the biggest. Is just allowing you know 40% of the land in the Bay Area is used for cattle still. If you could just take 10 of that 40% and use it for more affordable housing and nice communities, I think. I think it, more you also know, could go higher in some of the towns there i think that would completely fix a lot of things and you put a lot of tunnels and stuff in it's not that expensive or hard to make the infrastructure work in the Bay area for a lot more people so it's i think that's a big part of it too
3: and to follow up so sometimes policy actually oftentimes by design is is backward looking we learn from the past to think about how to approach the future but you look at the frontier uh, you look and live within the frontier. And so is there anything, any ideas that you think the policymakers should be, think, be well, thinking so, of?
1: Yeah, so so, so 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 Cicero is very active in 11 states. We're not active in California because so we don't think we can get anything done there because you know you have to you have to work where the people are gonna listen to you. Uh, in Texas, the two biggest issues, just to flag, are education and healthcare. Uh, healthcare costs have gone up six or 7% a year here for the last 17 years. It's a crisis uh it's happened in large part because the health systems here which are great health systems have captured the policy apparatus and have put in a lot of kind of subtle anti-competitive rules and have made you know doctors from out of state and telehealth and and ways of negotiating with payers and ways of having clinics that can Work with payers and compete against hospitals that are blocked. There's just there's just lots of ways that markets do not function in healthcare here, thanks to the rules. And that's that's going to be a big crisis for Texas to fix, and it's going to be hard because of uh, because of the health systems, uh, the education one as well. Uh, in a lot of rural areas, the teachers in the healthcare area systems are the biggest employers, so they're very very powerful special interests, and it's really hard to put in uh, things that create competition and innovation in these areas. So so those are. Those are two big issues that we like. We're trying to fix here, and I think we're going to have a good chance of get, getting a lot done. But that's that's that's, that's work ahead of us.
0: That's, that's great. One of the things I don't think people people talk about it, but this forty five to ninety five to forty five percent is quite striking. <laughs> that's your own. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's
1: pretty common. I think that's pretty common too. That it's like the value used to be just so dominant, and now it's just spread out to so many places.
0: Yeah, I think I think some more. Fa- there's a lot of communications that would help uh, this issue, I think, anyway. I mean, yeah. California could be more like Texas, so to speak, in this these dimensions.
1: Yeah, you know? no, and, and, and obviously cultural shifts from COVID and everything has also helped make this work better, of course, to, to be more spread out.
0: Right. So I have a, uh, just a general, this is a fascinating conversation and facts that come out. I like the facts. Is there, are there some people <clears throat> maybe in the high-tech community who would who would be sympathetic to what you're saying or are they just they're not there what do you i mean think from oh yeah no they
1: they they just they just they, they, yeah all sorts of people mark Andreessen, i'm sure would agree with 90% of what we talked about or maybe 80% i don't know but but i mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people uh you know peter taylor probably be on the same page on a lot of it and he's spending a lot of time in miami these days um yeah i i you know i, th- I think i think i think a lot of my friends just don't want to be I, you know, I've caused trouble for myself as has Peter on a grander scale. And a lot of my friends don't want to cause trouble for themselves. So <laughs> they're smarter than I am. I, I got so frustrated the other day. Uh, Professor Taylor, there's a fund that is a big fund in New York that I, I think is fine. It's not one of the best performing funds and it's done, it's done decently well because everything's gone well in tech. And they started going really woke and requiring all these DEI things on their term sheets and requiring people to report their gender and their race and, and to check in on it and interview certain people of different races and just all this stuff like that. And they made a big deal about it. And they just raised $20 billion from all these pensions and a huge fund. It's like basically more than draw doubling and tripling the size of their firm. And it's like these pensions were just happy to give money to the one that was woke. And it's just, it's really frustrating for me because our incentive is to shut up and go woke because it would just, it would, I, I'd, have, I'd it'd be so much better for business. I'm doing fine, but I could have done a lot better if I didn't cause these problems for myself. So I, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's an interesting world right now.
2: So we started from local and I wanna I to move to global Joe. So I just came back from meetings in Washington, a lot of interest in trying to understand if you're sitting in the government, how do you get a better understanding of emerging technologies? What are the most, um, cutting edge technologies that the US government should be worried about or interested in because they can either help or hurt, whether it's on the commercial side or whether it's on the political military
1: side. It's interesting. You know, for the most part, it's really good for them not to understand technologies because they always try to regulate and kill them. So like PayPal was almost killed by Spitzer, but he was just a little bit too late. But if he had understood it a little bit better, he would have known how to kill it sooner and stop it. And then, then you wouldn't have had everything that came. It, it, it's, it's, it's a joke, but it's serious, right? Because in Europe, there were things like this that were killed. And, and then if PayPal was sold, You know, we would not have had SpaceX or Tesla or YouTube or you know, Yelp or you, know, you know, Palantir or a bunch of other companies that I think played really critical roles in our society. If, you, if, you'd, if you'd been successful with killing PayPal. So the counter, the counter narrative of what could have happened in Europe if, the, if they hadn't been quite as hard regulators, it could have been a lot more of these things that would happen, right? Because it's amazing how tenuous it is. It's just hard to build these companies. None of those would have been successful and came if you didn't have this initial one. So I think, I think my general bias is for most of the government, we don't want them knowing about what's going on because they will break it in it. And so I'm very hesitant for them to. Now, I think in terms of what we do want them to know, on the defense side, I've been engaging with the Pentagon because we do want them to understand. uh You know, one of the most important new technologies is that in warfare you have either offense or defense winning, right? And so Charlemagne and all those guys 600 years ago were able to conquer the city states because the cannons changed warfare to offensive. Uh, we think warfare is going to shift back in a very defensive way over the next couple decades, uh, especially because of of, of these EMP type stuff. And so I have a company that does the best EMP in the world now. It's just beat a bunch of the legacy primes in a big contest, and, and you're able to kind of you know use AI on, micro, on, on on semiconductors to very quickly manipulate power to hit gallium nitride all at once, where the relatively small system can fire a cone of microwave radiation and destroy electronics from miles away. And so one of the things we're trying to do right now, actually a we'll call later today, is that we're trying to teach people about this. Uh, you know, we've, This is a big company. It's raised $300 million. But basically the baltic states and maybe even ukraine but it's too late but the baltic states should have very inexpensive underground uh you know setups here where you see these convoys and you can just turn them all off right at once very cheaply and that would be very useful i think for stopping russians or anyone else from marching in you know you could, you could actually for 50 200 million dollars you could defend like a whole giant very long border with layers and layers of things hidden underground where it'd just be very hard to get to get convoys through it and it doesn't hurt anyone. It also turns off drone swarms. Anyway, so that's the example of like a really cool new technology that we've created with my friends in Silicon Valley and, and for the defense world. And so those things we try to teach them about, I'd rather they not know about the other stuff they're gonna try to stop. But anyway, that's, that's where I am. Actually, as
0: you, as you step back and think of all the firms you just listed, which came out of this area, came out of the US, but even Silicon Valley, it's quite remarkable. So we, we don't wanna cut that off. I mean, that's in some you know we we would not be able to have this kind of conversation at all before before uh, Zoom, right? And so there's tremendous benefits. Uh, I, I, my education is incredible. We're teaching thousands of students online. And I, I think we have to emphasize that positive aspect as well
1: hundred I mean, when I, when I'm for when I'm for certain certain types of regulation it's very very carefully of very big things that have power but I want to make it really easy to build new companies and really easy to be successful and build a big company so we're on the same page.
0: So any other comments or questions or uh...
3: Uh, last thing my last thing I don't know but last comment is uh, what do you think Joe about um, there's a lot of talk at least in Europe about coordinating more policy, antitrust policies. And the question, I see benefits on on both approaches. A lot of the issues are very local, as we talked about, California versus Texas, but other issues are common and, and some integrations of approaches and ideas may be helpful. Where, where do you sit on this side of the debate? Yeah, I mean, that'd be, that'd be
1: a lot easier. Uh, as, as some of the companies I've started and invested in have gotten to be much bigger companies, it gets quite frustrating when you have to deal with all these different regimes and it's, it's kind of crazy. So I think I think if there are ways, if there I mean I'm very against global global government because I think then then you have no no way to, you know, I think federalism is a very good thing. But I think there's some ways they can at least talk and be coordinated and 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 maybe even pick if they all have something they can say, okay, well, we each want to do these things, here's the ones that overlap and just do the ones that overlap, that would be that'd be great.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joe. And um, I wrote down this forty miles and nine hundred miles thing is amazing statistic. Maybe we have a few other firms that are close to 40 or something that uh, can get into this
1: business. But there's so much. We're we're trying to help them. We're trying to help them get down there. That's what we're doing.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, Thank you so much. We we appreciate it. And uh, we'll stay in contact. We've got so many good ideas to think about. So thank you, Joe.
1: Look forward to chatting more. Thanks for all your guys' work. Appreciate it. Take care.